0: We continue our series on, on church at home, and the idea is it's to take what's happening here, to ex- take what your, what your experience is in this place in terms of worship, in terms of encountering God, and then that must also happen in your home. If, if there's a disconnect between what's happening here and what's happening in your home, then you must ask yourself, okay, so how can I change this? Because God wants to be revealed in this building, but He also wants to be revealed in the spaces that we occupy during the week. So, let's just define home quickly. Because in the New Testament times, it had a bit of a different meaning than what we think of now. When you think of home now, it's a place we go to, we rest, we eat, Uh, entertainment, there's a big TV. Uh, All the chairs in the lounge is directed to the TV, and that's our main focus Obviously, there weren't any TVs back in the day in the first century. And that is sort of our idea of home. You want a big living area, open kitchen, great to make food, good uh, bathroom, place to sleep, etc. But what was a home back in the first century? Because that's where Jesus finds himself. A home was a place of sleeping, yes, eating, but it was a place of raising kids and even education. It was also a place of hospitality, so you would invite strangers into your home, and you would connect with them, not through a device. There's no device between you and the people coming in, but you connect with them over a meal, and you'll eat together, and you'll connect and, doing, and do life together, socializing. But it's also a place of business. It's a place where you had your friends together together, and you'd start a business and from the home, there were no offices, office blocks back in the day where you'd leave at, at eight and go to your office and then come back at night. No, the, the home was also the, the center of the business activity, the economic activity of the day. Obviously, there were people traveling around and they there were merchandises and, and they would sell stuff, but primarily most people did everything from their homes. So now here's an interesting story, talking about a home and the potential of God's grace when it comes into a home. In, in Luke 19, it's the story of Zacchaeus. He's in a tree, small guy, and he waits for Jesus. And then Jesus sees him and he says, listen here, come down, I want to go into your home. And then Zacchaeus, he responds and he says, I Invite you, Jesus. I invite you into my home. And then uh, Zacchaeus, he does a few things, and then Jesus says these words. Luke 19, verse 9. Salvation has come to this home today. So Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. He probably did all his evil business practices, devised that within his home. He had his friends over who also tax collector collectors and corrupt people all in his home so now Jesus is walking into his house and Jesus is saying because of Zacchaeus because of his response to me him inviting me into his home there is now a grace for everybody that is represented in this house this home to be saved so and that is the power of us living with Jesus and experiencing the fullness of His goodness and His kindness and His mercy and His grace, is that we receive salvation, but also as we receive Jesus, as we invite Jesus into our own personal lives, He also comes and He makes a home in our sphere of influence. He joins us in our economic activity. He joins us where you're fathering your children. He joins us when you go to school. He joins us, and he's like, hey, if you just invite me, I will bring the grace for the people in your sphere of influence to meet with me and to be changed and to be transformed. It's one of the craziest concepts ever, if you think of your influence. There's one guy, Zacchaeus, he meets with Jesus. Jesus says, because of Zacchaeus, there's a grace for the rest of the people that he does business with his family to get saved there's a supernatural grace and this is what you represent so we want to talk about church at home so we want to talk about you stepping into your classroom and thinking okay wow today salvation has come to this classroom you want to step into your business into your office block and you're like oh wow today salvation has come to this office block. or oh, hey, today salvation has come to my family. I don't know if my husband believes. I don't know if my, if my children are in line with God's word. But today, because of me meeting with Jesus, encountering God, salvation has come to this house, to my sphere of influence. And if we can walk with that authority everywhere, we can change a city very quickly. If you're walking in the coffee shop, you're going to know, listen here, salvation has come to this coffee shop today because of me. And It won't be arrogant, it would just be the truth. So that is where we need to get to. It's because it's not us wanting to look great. No, it's us with a heart that's broken for other people. You, mean, you know how many people you're rubbing shoulders with every day that is broken, that's hurting, that's far from Jesus, that are going to hell. And they are crying out in their spirits. Hey, can Peter just please realize that there is a grace on his life for me to get saved today. And you're like, no, I, I, I'm unworthy. I'm too sinful. I watched pornography three and a half years ago. I, I surely, surely, there's no grace on my life. Look at my family line. Sure. My pedigree doesn't look like Lenay's. No, it's no, surely it can't be me. So this is this is the crux of church at home. To take Jesus with you into your sphere of influence. It's new subs that Ricas placed there. So, let's go to acts two, so the context here is that the Holy Spirit's been poured out, three thousand people got saved, and now the disciples need to get a structure a s- systems to help people to be discipled okay, and this is what they do so imagine you're just a couple of couple of people getting together, you don't know if jesus. Was really the truth or not? Some were doubting the Holy Spirit comes. There's a power encounter. People suddenly start speaking different languages. People are like, whoa, it's real. This is real. We're going to respond now to Jesus. 3,000 people get saved. If 3,000 people get saved now, immediately, all of you are pastors. All of you will need to go and start small groups, and you need to host people every day of the night just to disciple them. And this is where the disciples were at this point. So if we don't prepare for that, we cannot expect this. So Acts 2 verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, the gospels that we have. So they said, yes, there's a focus on teaching, doctrine. What is good? Understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. And to fellowship. Fellowship is the great Afrikaans word, the synonym for kayer. Not kair like in studenta or in the pubs. Kair like coming together and just spending time together, doing life with each other. And that was part of their focus. They started doing stuff together. It's great. It's so spiritual. The apostles teaching and then fellowship, socializing. It's very important. To the breaking of bread and to prayers so in other words, the sacraments that Jesus instituted um, of communion but also prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. But Because of the Holy Spirit it's now in people, people started experiencing the same supernatural power that Jesus had. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had, had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. So just in verse 45, where they sold everything and gave to everyone, this is not socialism. What God is helping us here with is that they started pulling together their resources, and they realized that if we start thinking of, hey, what do you have? What do I have? How can we bring that together, and how can we use that to advance God's kingdom? That was a our full idea because it's unity and we know that God says I command a blessing where there's unity so what can we do together I'm thinking what can we do together if we pull all our resources now can we change George for sure yes we can but we need to get to that place of of unity 47 praising God And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they not only had the 3,000 people getting saved, but as they started doing these things, more people were just drawn to what they were doing. Because now they were church. Outside of the temple courts, they were in their homes, they were everywhere. People were doing business. And there was Jesus in their midst in terms of His presence and there was a love among them that drew people to these groups of believers. And people just add it. It's, it's powerful. So we want to create community, family, friendships that disciple people in this way. So we see in this Acts 2 verse 42, 40, 48 that that they had a structure. That they had focus areas. The one was they would meet in these temple courts, so those were the big gatherings. So they were meeting to, to, together in big gatherings, but then they also they dispersed into homes, so they were everywhere. So we want to say, Lord, use us in this building, bring us together in this building. Lord, use us in big outreaches, or like if you know the Nikoi youth. The Yechveh, this week, where over probably 400 kids would go and just worship Jesus. Use us in that way, but also use us in smaller communities. So I want to help you tonight to, to get a plan, a strategy on how to build community that will disciple people. So again, the focus is not on you. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, hey, I need community, I need more friends, I need more this, and then I'll have more meaning in life. No, God's calling you to create community. God's calling you to pioneer, to say, hey, in my house, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be the house where there's so much love, kids will just walk into our house and they will be Slain by the power of the love in this house. Our friendship will be so full of God that people will literally be like, Hey, can I be friends with you? So, how can we create communities, families, friendship circles that disciple people? So, what is your plan for discipleship in your friend's circle? So, Matthew 28:19. Jesus speaking, giving us the great commission. Most of you should know this. I want to focus and highlight just one phrase here. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It's massive. If you read verse 18 or verse 17 specifically, you'll see that some of them still doubt it. So Jesus is like, hey, you're doubting, but I'm still going to give you this massive, Massive strategy. This massive plan to change the world. They have go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I want to focus on this and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So you need a plan. And how are you going to get the information that you receive in church, in your reading of Scripture, in Bible school, in small group? How are you going to use that to help people to obey? Not only give through information to your friends, to the people that you're walking the road with, but how are you going to help the people in your friend circle to obey Jesus? So God wants to take the information that you already have, and he wants to help you to help other people to put it into a lifestyle. Because if it doesn't have an outflow into a lifestyle, all we are doing, we're just getting fattened with information. And we are living in the information age. You can get all of what the Bible means and what the gospel is and who Jesus is. All of that you can get on the internet. You can just go and Google so, information is available, and that's great, by the way. It's awesome. You have no excuse. If you, if you don't understand the Bible, you have no excuse in our day and age. You have access to our Bible school, you have access to, to small group church services. You can Google, Google Bible Project, and look up a specific book. It's brilliant. I studied theology, that is brilliant. It's amazing how accessible. Good theology is to all of us. And it wasn't always like that. There's a scene in the movie Martin Luther where Martin Luther is discussing with his mentor uh, in, a, in a convent. He's discussing, hey, what should I do? And this mentor says, listen here, you must go to that place because they have the New Testament. It's like, what, what, what? What are you saying? So you've been following Jesus with all these other monks but you don't have the New Testament. Because in the Middle Ages, they didn't have the Bible in their own language. It was only written in Latin. So now we have at least five Bibles in our homes. You have 1,001 translations on your Bible app. You have access to information. But God's calling us not only to information, not to just convey information, but to help people to obey Jesus, to obey the commandments in Scripture, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So discipleship is not only drinking coffee with your friend and going through the book of John. That is powerful. Get to know your Bible. Discipleship is a step further than that. It's to say, okay, great, so we now have heard Here it says, Sermon on the Mount, listen here, you need to forgive and pray for your enemies. Let's do it now in this coffee shop. What, can we pray? Yes, you can. So, we want to disciple our friends. We want to create communities that will disciple people. And in order to do that, broken it down into... Three plans that you must have for your community. So if you're a dad, you need to have this for your family. If you are part of a friend circle, you need to have this as part of, as a plan for your friend circle. If you're part of a business, you need to have this as a plan for your business. You need a plan for love. You need a plan for truth. And you need a plan for holiness. How will you facilitate a loving environment in your family? How will you bring in the truth in your family, in your business, in your friend circle? How will you keep the standard of holiness in your friend circle, in your family, in your business? So you have to have those plans. So there's a, undergirding philosophy that we need to understand when it comes to discipleship. And we've already touched on this. So it's something that we, we live out. It's not only here in our minds. It's not only intellectual knowledge. It said that we should practice what you preach. Who of you have heard that? Okay? But discipleship really is preach what you practice. So Dallas Willard, he had had outreaches, many people got saved, and then he realized so so few of them actually became followers of Jesus. And he realized we have a problem in church. We have so many people that say they're Christians, but so few followers of Jesus. So then he looked at the term disciple, and he realized, why it's it's quite archaic, and it's quite religious, so when we can put a, a term in the religious box, or we can't really associate with it because we don't really use it in our day-to-day um, conversations, then often it, le- it loses its meaning. So we, we didn't say when Jake or when Malema was still with ANC, hey, Jacob Zuma discipled Malema. We didn't say that. We said Jacob Zuma mentored Malema. Okay, that's the language that we use. So he looked at the just the context first century context and how the the rabbis operated and he realized that it was life on life. It was like, hey, I'm modeling to you what forgiveness looks like and then I'm teaching you why I did what I did. So I preach what I've practiced. I've already Model this to you, and now I'm going to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, and he developed this idea that discipleship really is about being an apprentice of Jesus. And he said this it's unlike traditional education, where you sit in the classroom and there's somebody in the front giving you information. Information is great, by the way, it's awesome. Apprenticeship emphasizes a close personal relationship between a learner and a mentor. This hands-on approach aims to impart not only knowledge, but also wisdom, character, and practical skills. So this is what we want to do. We want to model. We want to live with our people. There's a classic comment on, on modeling and the power of modeling and the power of preaching. It says this: If I'm preaching measles, but I have chicken pox, everybody that I'm preaching to will have. Yes. Thanks, Angie. So who you are is more powerful than what you preach. It, words are powerful, but who you are. It's more powerful. So, if you are following Jesus, you will disciple people automatically if you live with Him. That's why community living is so powerful. Eddie and Angie, they're living with us. It's so powerful. They're discipling the pastors of this church. It's amazing. We learn so much from them. But living with people, that's why family is so powerful. Yeah, we have two, or hey, three siblings sitting here next to one another. Because they are living together, they grew up together, there is so much discipleship just happening spontaneously. God is obviously forcing them to be at church, forcing them to do all these things. But that is the power of, of discipleship, is who you are will eventually rub off on the people around you. Okay, so let's get to the three plans that we want to develop for, for our discipleship culture in our communities, in our businesses, in our families. Number one, a plan for love. You need a plan for love. 1 John four twelve says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Essentially what John is saying here, he's saying, hey, you have not seen God. No one has ever seen God. But if you create a community that loves one another, then people will see God. Because they will pick it up in their spirit. Because God is love. So where there's authentic love, holy, pure love, people will meet with Jesus. So what is your plan for love in your family? How will you reveal to people who God is In loving one another. So a couple ideas. One is to discuss with your families who have influence. How can you apply 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 to to your house or to your space or to your friend circle? So this is what verse 4 says. Love is patient. It's very practical. How can I be more patient in my home? Because if I'm patient, then I'm revealing love. And I'm, if I'm revealing love, then I'm revealing God. And then that will create an opportunity, a grace for people to meet with Jesus. And that's what you want. Isn't it? It's, it's simple. It's very practical. Discipleship is very practical. If you don't make it practical, you're losing the power of discipleship. Second one, so it starts with love is patient. Then love is kind. So how can I... Get kindness into my community. So what we do in in our house is we celebrate kindness. So we play cricket in the park outside our house. And then there'll be another kid joining, but he can't really hit the cricket ball or tennis ball. And then one of the kids will then go, listen here, I know you've not been out for the third and fourth time. We're going to give you another chance. Because we see that you struggle, and we know that we've also struggled. So we're going to give you another chance. That night when we put little Amu to bed, we go to Amu and say, Amu, you know what? I'm so proud to be your dad. Not because you hit the biggest sixes today, but because you showed kindness to that little kid. He's going home, and he's telling his mother, Mother, I'm the best cricket player that you've ever seen because of kindness. So we celebrate kindness. We say, oh, well done. You were kind. And therefore, you revealed love. And therefore, you revealed Jesus. And there is the opportunity that little David that played with you cricket today will meet with Jesus because of your kindness. That's how we celebrate kindness. That's how we create a community of love. We celebrate that. So what are you celebrating? Unfortunately, most parents only celebrate the accolades. Hey, you're fourth in your class. Well done. You should have been third. You studied harder. And there is something to say for, hey, go harder. Study more. Hey, I've seen you a little lazy. You have much more potential. I think that's the kind of language you can still use, especially in our day and age where everybody's a winner. No, it's it's great. Get your kids to work hard. But we focus on love because that's the essence of who God is. Another story that might be an idea for some of you, Is this guy who did an interview with billionaires, and then he got to this one billionaire's house, and he walked in there, and he just found his kids to be so kind. They're just so kind. He asked him, hey, how did you get them to be so kind? He says he doesn't know if this is it, but there's something that he does every night that might be the reason for why they're so kind. He says, at night I asked him two questions. One is, tell me a story of how somebody was kind to you today. Second question is, tell me a story of how you were kind to somebody else today. And he said after the third time when he asked his kids those questions, they know that dad's going to ask tonight, he's going to ask this question. Was I kind to somebody and tell me the story? So what are you doing with their little brains? You reprogram them to tell them, hey, they're going to be celebrated for showing kindness. And we all know showing love and kindness is actually very addictive. Because it's to get over yourself. You are not to focus on yourself. It's one of the most freeing things to do. Go through the whole day and you're like, I'm just going to be kind to people. I'm just going to be kind to people. I'm just going to be kind to people. I'm going to be unselfish. I'm just going to love people. I'm just going to love people. If you do that for a week, see if you're horrible. If you feel like, oh, wow, I've wasted my whole week. No, you're going to feel energized. Because you are in line. You are syncing yourself with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So have a plan for love. A great idea that I've also put down there is to listen well. Just be the friend that listens well. Speak less and listen well. Ask questions and then you just you listen. And ask more questions so you can listen even more. Number two, you need a plan for truth. John 17, 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus praying to his Father, he says, sanctify them by the truth. And as if he knows that this is going to be recorded, he gives us the answer to what truth is. He says, your word is truth. So 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, remember when I Really a, a massive encounter with who God is and God in me and also just experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time. I went to this scripture and said, This is my second three verse sixteen verse that I'm gonna take for myself. One is John three sixteen, another one is two Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So think of your friends and the things that they still need to do. Think of your family and your children and the people that are your colleagues and the things that they still need to do. The word, the truth will equip them. So if you have the truth on the inside, if you've come to Bible school, you've studied your word in the morning, then you have something to give to them to equip them for the good works. And what's going to happen? We know that Jesus says he is the the what? The way, the truth, and the life. So if we reveal truth, we'll also draw people to Jesus. So how do we do this? We read the Bible with them and in front of them. We're speaking specifically to parents of families but do, that, do this with your friends also. You go away for a weekend. You take your Bible out and you read your Bible with them. And I've done this many times. Even people that are not religious, they will come to me and say, Hey, uh, just what are you reading? Great! <laughs> just make sure you're not in Leviticus. Just make sure you're in the Gospels can I share with you? Thank you for asking. Read with me. So, because we need to model that this is really important. In our house, we don't read uh, scripture on a device or on our phones, because we want to tell our kids this is really important. Because if we're on a device or phones, they think we're just busy with emails or WhatsApp or social media. We want them to see that we value the Word and the truth of Of the word. And then to use scripture to show why you do what you do. Even this evening, I did a little bit of this. I said, okay, we're going to be still and quiet before the Lord because it's in scripture. That's what the psalmist says. Be still and know that God is, that He is Lord, that He is God. And then we also, we clapped our hands and we shouted. Why? Because it's in Scripture. So you use Scripture to reveal to the people why you're doing what you're doing. So for instance, in our home, when I grew up, my dad would say, hey, what's the golden rule? I'd say, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. So why are you treating your brother like this? Would you love to be treated in this way? Matthew 7, 12. This is what Jesus was saying. Another rule on our house is, O Kennedy's, we're not allowed to complain. You're allowed to be honest. So you can say, wow, I had a terrible day. But if it goes into complaining, it becomes how you feel and why you do stuff in, 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 in this way and being very emotional and moody. Then you go into Complaining. You just need to now push through. I know you've had a hard week, a long day. You've had 15 ballet classes and 17 drama classes and the teacher went that nice in the maths class. You're not allowed to complain. And where do we get this from? 1 Thessalonians 5 speaks of rejoicing always and it's the will of God to give thanks. So if you If you're complaining, can you in that same attitude also give thanks? No, you can't. I love with what Bill Johnson said. He said, Psalm 22 verse 3, um, in the New King James Version says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So the question is, who inhabits the complaints of his people? So, Know scripture so that you can share with people why you are doing what you are doing. And this takes us to the last one, a plan for holiness. Hebrews 12 verse 14, make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if there's not holiness in your family, your kids will not see Jesus. So you need to have love, but you also need to have holiness. You need to have truth, and you need to have love. You need to have truth, love, and holiness. So here are a couple of ideas. Heaven not in our house, and in this house we will list. So in other words, what are the non-negotiables in your house, in your friend's circle? So in our house, we will not watch any movies, any series with any sex scenes in it. We will not watch it. And if somehow there's something that we watch and it comes up, even if Cornell and I are on our own, and it's not even revealing anything, we forward it. Because that's our standard. I struggle with pornography. I'm not going to get my kids to struggle with pornography. Because as I lead, my kids will follow. Non-negotiable. And if you bring that into a house, you are in trouble. So what is, what is your, what's your standard? It's also the same with, with gossip. We don't gossip about other churches in this church. Dave Ramsey has a no gossip gossip rule in his organization, in his business. You'll get fired if you gossip in his organization. It's 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 holiness. And then in this house we will. What what are you known for? And and it's Fits in with the other plans. We are known to be kind. We are known to be honest. We are known to call out sin in one another. We have a very open relationship with our with our kids. So our kids, every now and then, they call out our sin. Hey, Dad, but hey, but you, you were angry with Mother. You're not allowed to speak to her in that way. So then we also, we cultivate an awareness of the Holy Spirit, because holiness is not primarily an absence of sin, but it's the presence of a holy God. So we cultivate that. In the morning when they wake up, we wake them up with worship music. Hey, we just want to, Welcome you into the presence of God. We know you don't want to wake up now. We know you still want to sleep. But we welcome you into the presence of God. Because we want our kids to be aware. God's been there. While you were sleeping, he was there. While you're waking up, he's there. While we're sitting around the, the, the breakfast table, he is there. If you go to school, he is there. Make them aware of the presence of, of God. And then something that we, we value, and it's part of our, in this house, we will, is we value corporate gatherings. Church on a Sunday, for instance. If we don't feel like coming to church, or they don't feel like coming to church, they had a late, late night on Saturday because they were friends, they will come to church. Because I benefited from that. And I had to sit in harde, ingekerk, houtbanken. And my mom would pinch me if we don't sing along. But I was fortunate enough to know what my daddy's is preaching. Although for me it was boring in the way that it was presented. It is powerful. And if I take that, then my life will have an impact. I will have purpose. So what happened when I went to varsity and I didn't have my family around me? Where did I go to find truth? Where did I go to find love? I didn't go to the pubs. I went to church because my dad, they instituted this culture in our home that we will go to where the people are worshiping Jesus. So what are the things in your life that are non-negotiable and that... Present the holiness of God. Because holiness comes from the word to be set apart. It means to be different. So you'll be different. It's One of the most difficult things to teach little children. Hey, mommy. This is what happened to us the other day. Hey, mommy. This friend invited me to go and watch Mama Mia 2 with her. No. Have you seen Mamma Mia, do you know what the storyline of Mama Mia is? No, it's not appropriate for you. It's not part of who we are. You're not going to do it. But Mama, hey, we are holy. You are set apart. You are different. And we're just helping you to say no. One day you'll thank us. Amen. Great, so can the worship team come up, please? There's a grace for us to bring Jesus to our sphere of influence. But we need to be very practical about this. You make a plan for love, a plan for truth, a plan for holiness, and then people will meet with Jesus. And it is difficult. You'll say no to many things. But if you complain about the little bit that you are sacrificing for Jesus, please just remember that he gave up everything. It's one of the things that really irritates me. If people complain about the things that they've given up for Jesus, because what he has given up for us, Is so much more, and also the prize that we get from just giving up, sacrificing this little tiny bit, maybe the music that you listen to, that one movie, or, or, hey, you can't do this, or, hey, you have to say no to this, or, hey, you need to wake up early for church service and go to a small group every week, oh, I can't believe it's so difficult. The prize that we get is relationship with Jesus. And not only this, in the context of tonight, It's also people around us will meet with Jesus.